This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Joining us right now is a great friend of London Live and a great physician in this area, Dr. Mario Alaya. Dr. Alaya, I'm imagining you have never worn a mask that you would cut a hole in. I have not, and I, I saw the same video. It turns out that one's a hoax. So it's, a, it's a comedy uh, duo that, that puts those together by the looks. But the first time, I, first time I saw that, I thought, oh, goodness gracious. Typical Kentucky, but uh, kind of playing to the stereotypes that we... Uh, we uh, we think about when we think of Kentucky, but uh, not true that one. Thankfully, yeah. good. Thanks for being our Snopes on all of <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, no kidding. So, <laughs> thanks to Kelly for the email. That that gives you a chuckle, and now I'll, I don't have to put that over there. I don't have to be worried about that at all. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the community when it comes to COVID nineteen, and I think we want to focus in on something that a lot of people might be experiencing, which is some symptoms that make you think, oh. I got this scratchy throat or all of a sudden I'm getting stuffy or I may have this headache that I don't like and wait a minute, what is this? When we're maybe experiencing things like that, uh, how should we be investigating ourselves before we run to the emergency room? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, I, I had uh, brought this up back in February when, when COVID was still, you know, first hitting the news. The first thing I thought about was, you know, when we hit the spring, and allergy, uh, allergy season, given how kind of wide the variety of symptoms people can get with COVID, you know, even something as people have presented with just a runny nose, sore throat, uh, headache, you know, which are, uh, as we know, some people with seasonal allergies present with symptoms of, of runny nose and, and kind of a, a bit of a tickle in the throat. And sometimes people feel malaise, meaning that kind of just kind of down feeling when they're, when they're uh, in allergy season. So the, the approach that I've, I've kind of taken with my own patients and I've sent about uh, an email about this is that anybody with seasonal allergies, known seasonal allergies, knowing that when spring hits, they generally have to take an antihistamine at some point through the season or, or a nasal steroid, that it's probably not a bad idea for them to get on uh, their medications now before they even get the symptoms. Because the issue is once they get the symptoms, then, you know, even for physicians, it's kind of tough to tease out, you know, what's allergy, what's COVID, given how much uh, allergies we're seeing. You know, generally, it's probably going to be allergy, but but we, we need to take the, the, the approach that, you know, anything that looks like COVID, we should probably be testing for COVID. So the way to take that kind of totally out of the equation is let's get everyone on their allergy meds, make sure that those symptoms are well-controlled, um, because we want to be able to save our tests realistically for people with with symptoms that we think might be COVID. If we can take all those allergy patients out of the uh, out of the equation, uh, I think we're going to have much better capacity. Dr. Mario Alaya joining us. When it comes to allergy seasons, is there any giveaway that says this allergy season could be difficult for people? I'm thinking, hey, we had a pretty mild winter. Does that matter, or do we just kind of find out after it all begins? You kind of just see as we go along. You know, the last few, the thing I've been noticing is that, and, and most physicians have been noticing this, is that every year it seems that more and more people are getting seasonal allergies. Uh, part of that is the effects of, of, of climate change, um, but we're certainly seeing more and more every year. So with this year being any different, tough to say. We always kind of figure out at the end of the season how bad of a season it's been, but it's, it's tough to predict based on um, a pattern that we've seen so far. Well, 
then I guess, like you say, get on that medication and make sure that you can distinguish between the two. Because maybe somebody who's never really suffered from allergies before, what are some typical things that you are going to experience, Dr. Elia? So a few of the symptoms that, that people notice. And, and, you know, one symptom that's, um, that is helpful to distinguish between COVID and, um, and allergies are, are itchy eyes. is something that typically people don't get with COVID. Now, some people with COVID have gotten conjunctivitis, that kind of red eye for no good reason. But if they're itchy eyes, um, sneezing is something else that we see, you know, almost exclusively with allergy and not with COVID. So those are kind of two uh, to separate out. Um, again, other symptoms that people may get with allergies do overlap with COVID. So sometimes people get a headache with, with their allergies, not commonly, but some get a headache, uh, some get a scratchy throat, uh, some get a runny nose, and some get that malaise. So if there's, you know, if, if people are sneezing with no other symptoms at all, um, like no symptoms at all. I think it's fairly safe to say that it's more likely, you know, more likely allergies. Of course, consult with your physician just to uh, make sure you're both on the same page. But I think that would be uh, be safe to say. Dr. Mario Alaya joining us. And if you have not been symptomatic when it comes to any kind of an allergy, is it possible to just kind of wake up? You might be in your 30s, your 40s, your 80s, your 90s, and say, "Oh, look, I I have allergies now." It's yeah, octogenarians. And, 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 you know, the elderly probably less likely, but certainly it's not unusual uh, through adulthood into middle age to develop um, allergies for the first time. So it's not, uh, not completely out of, the, uh, out of the realm of possibility. Again, the, the most important thing is that if people are developing any symptoms that may represent COVID, it's important that they get evaluated, that we're not just putting it off and saying, well, it's allergy season. It's probably not that. Because the, the fact is that we're, we're seeing more people getting out doing more things we're, we're seeing this you know everyone who's, go, who's gone out the last you know few days has seen this and what we don't want to have happen is people get symptoms write it off as being allergy actually be covid still be going around and spreading it that's that's the big the, the big concern so if people have symptoms they should still be reaching out uh to a health professional t- uh to, to make sure and that's with any symptoms um, the big concern and, and i can kind of jump to this the big concern i have over the next few weeks is that if people get to confident and cocky and not take the proper steps that we should be our ability to continue to loosen restrictions every two to four weeks will quickly be taken away from us that's that's the big concern i have is that you know since we've seen little you know low community spread in london um i I worry that people are getting it overconfident quite quickly so we need to continue with the basics of if you have any symptoms you have to reach out to a healthcare provider you have to self-isolate you have to do all those things we can't put people at risk um, who, who are who are in the community who are who are potentially ill? We have to get back to washing our hands, right? You know, those of us who've been spending more time at home perhaps have gotten out of that routine a little bit because you know, if we're just at home, um, can infect ourselves. But as we're getting back integrated into the community, hand washing constantly needs to be a priority. That six foot barrier. You know, I was at Walmart picking up some some essentials the other day, and it amazed me how many people were not kind of respecting that six foot barrier around them because you have to assume that the other person at Walmart is not taking this seriously, right? There's a lot of people in our community who think COVID is a conspiracy, right? They, they believe all kinds of kooky stuff about it. They don't believe authorities. That's a long, long discussion. But we have to assume that everybody else in our environment when we're in public is not taking it seriously and maybe a, a source of contagion. So we, if we take that approach, I know it can be seen as a bit um, kind of anxiety-provoking, a bit paranoid to think that, you know, everyone around us could be a vector. But if we take that level of, of safety and security we'll be better off. We'll have to see less spread. Um, and, and hopefully we can, again, see this loosening continue and not have to pull anything back. 
Fantastic points. Okay, there's one final thing, and like you say, if you do have symptoms that you think are COVID-19, we're not saying write them off as allergies. We're not doing that. So typically, and you can find a lot of different symptoms for COVID-19, but Dr. Elia, what would you tell people to be aware of? What sorts of feelings, what sorts of symptoms, if they should say, oh, I don't know, this doesn't feel right, maybe I should get tested? So the the, the symptoms of covid that have been kind of so it, from the very beginning, fever, cough, and shortness of breath have been identified as, as the, the original symptoms. Since then, the World Health Organization has expanded that to include, I'll make a list here, so muscle aches, headache, they've included sore throat, um, diarrhea, loss of uh, smell or taste. Um, those have been kind of included as additional symptoms now. So really, any, anybody having any of those symptoms, even one of those symptoms, should reach out again to their healthcare provider first, and then they'll get guidance on, on uh, whether, whether testing is appropriate. Because what we want to make sure that if anybody does become symptomatic in the next, you know, as we, as we um, uh, loosen restrictions here, that they get tested early. Because we actually have testing capacity now, which is good. You know, people who need to be tested are actually being tested. So we've, we've, we've made huge strides there. So if people actually are symptomatic and potentially have it, we want to make sure that they're identified right away, that their contacts are identified, and we can kind of dampen that right away. And that only happens if people with symptoms do reach out. Great stuff. Great advice, Dr. Elias. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Take care. That's Dr. Mario Elia. And he makes a good point. Now, think about this. If you're out in public, treat it like anyone else could be a source of the virus. And don't let that be a paranoid statement. No, that, that's just being safe. If you're on a trail, you move off the trail. If somebody's coming at you in a grocery store, you get out of the way. You're not going to be able to avoid everybody because there are yahoos at the grocery store that aren't paying any attention. That, as Dr. Elias says, believe this is a conspiracy and the, the government is out to get us. Whatever. But... Treat everybody like they could be a source of the virus, and then you're less likely to come in contact with that virus, and then we get to open more stuff. The virus isn't going anywhere right now. It's not going to change. So this is the way we've got to deal with it. You know, there are two ways to look at human beings. I always like to picture what it would be like for aliens to find Earth and come down and take a look around. I get the feeling that as long as they weren't just trying to blow us up, that if they started to look around, they would say, who are you guys? What are you, you're walking bundles of emotion. What are you, you ride these highs and lows, you get all caught up in your own things. What are you doing? What have you accomplished? And we could look around and say, we've accomplished a lot of stuff. And they would say, well, we accomplished enough to come find you here. So you're not quite on that level. And that would be one way. The other way is to look around and say, yeah, forget that. You know, it might even be impossible to ever have interstellar travel. So let's not worry about that. Instead, let's look around. And despite being walking bundles of emotion, we've done a lot of things. Uh, There are planes flying in the air. Uh, Right now, I'm sitting on my couch, and you're listening to me. By way of a radio, by way of an internet feed at 980cfpl.ca. I don't know how that happened, but somebody really, really smart made that happen. In fact, a number of people who are really, really smart made that happen. And even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, I think we need to take solace in the fact that the same people 
who are able to make big objects fly long distances, are able to make voices carry long distances, are hard at work trying to develop treatments, trying to develop a vaccine, or just trying to understand what COVID-19 is all about. Please welcome one of those individuals to London Live right now. Dr. James Koropatnik is going to talk to us about using genetic therapy to even block the entry of a virus into a human body. Dr. Koropatnik, thanks so much for being with us. Happy to be there. Thank you. Dr. Koropatnik is a Lawson scientist, principal investigator in a study that is going on right now. And maybe you can give us an idea as to what you are looking into, Dr. Koropatnik. Well, I'm particularly interested in how the virus that causes COVID-19, a virus called SARS-CoV-2, can actually get into cells. There's a lot of work going on in many different laboratories to try to make uh, new vaccines, to try to use broad-range antibiotics, all kinds of things that are being used. And that's to treat the virus itself, to try to get rid of it and stop its action in the body. But it's really quite interesting that this particular virus piggybacks on proteins that cells make themselves in the human body in order to get into those cells. And the proteins that they use are called uh, ACE or ACE2. That's the particular protein on the surface of cells that the virus attaches to to enter. Now, it seems pretty obvious on the face of it that it would be a really good idea then for us to block ACE2, to block that virus entry protein, maybe some of the other proteins that work with ACE2, and that will stop the virus from getting into cells. So that's, in essence, what we're trying to do. And we're doing that using a really new class of drugs that's highly effective and highly specific. These are called antisense drugs. Now, there's a lot of different drugs that are small molecules that will bind to proteins and stop those proteins from working. But those drugs tend to have a lot of side effects very difficult to make sure they bind only to the protein you want them to bind to and to nothing else. But antisense drugs bind to the molecule that's responsible for making the protein. It's a nucleic acid called ribonucleic acid or RNA. And you can make extremely specific molecules, antisense molecules, <clears throat> that will bind only to the RNA that makes that protein and to nothing else. So we're trying to make antisense drugs that block ACE2, which is the protein responsible for the virus to enter the cells. And by doing so, we think we'll be able to prevent the capacity of that virus to infect cells and cause disease. I love the sound of that. That is great. And I think all of us are sitting back and thinking, wow, this thing's been around and known about. I mean, we've talked with people on London Live who have said the first they heard about it was New Year's Eve. And uh -huh. maybe a few people in China knew about it a little earlier than that. But it hasn't been known about for very long. And this is the stage we're already at? That's That sounds fast. Yes, it is moving quite fast. But, you know, we get a, quite a few lessons out of this by what's happened in the past as well, because there's a long series of coronaviruses of which the COVID-19-causing virus is a member. It's also a coronavirus. But there's the SARS virus, which visited some years ago, and we know about that, and it, there's been extensive research there. There's MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Virus, which has been around as well. There have been other coronaviruses, including the virus that causes the common cold. So 
investigation has gone on for a long time, and we use the lessons we've learned from those molecules to start to give us a head start when we're beginning to treat or create drugs that can be used to treat COVID-19. So that's what we're beginning to go with here. Now, the interesting thing about this as well is that there's some other interesting things about this virus entry protein, ACE2, that we also know about. We know, for example, that people who are taking drugs for high blood pressure, certain drugs for high blood pressure called ACE inhibitors or ARBs, that's another kind of a drug that's out there as well. And it turns out that there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests that the drugs that can be used to treat high blood pressure may affect our ability to be infected by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Now, the work that we're doing with Antisense will begin to shed light on that as well. It is possible that some people who are taking these drugs may in fact be protected to some degree at any rate from SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Some of these drugs may have no effect on COVID-19, and some of them might in fact slightly increase your risk of developing COVID-19. Now, I hasten to add that if you're taking these drugs, ACE inhibitors or ACE receptor blockers or ARBs, these are extremely important drugs for people who have had heart disease or diabetes or high blood pressure. Don't stop taking those drugs because you think they might be causing a problem with COVID-19. They're protecting you from a lot of uh, deleterious problems that can appear from those diseases. But we want to explore whether or not those drugs may in fact be useful in treating COVID-19, and our investigation will shed light on those uh, possible effects as well. So not only are we trying to create new drugs, antisense drugs, to treat COVID-19 or prevent COVID-19, we can be able to shed a little bit of light now on drugs that people are already taking to determine whether or not they're actually providing a little bit of benefit for them, or perhaps even a little bit of deleterious effect in the area era of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're talking with Dr. James Koropatnik, who is with the Lawson Health Research Institute here in London. And Dr. Koropatnik, before we close out, the question that everybody wants to know, and I know it's got to be a tough one for anyone in science to answer, but the question is always, how long? How long would research take until we might know what it is that, that you're looking into and, and whether we do see some things there that can pro- you know, provide us with a, a really useful attack strategy? Well, it comes on several levels, and you're right, it is a tough question. As we've all discussed, creating vaccines can take quite a long time, a year, 18 months, perhaps even longer, and there's no guarantee that we will get a vaccine. After all, the common cold is a coronavirus. We don't have a vaccine against the common cold, and it's been many, many decades that that's been around. So there's no guarantees that vaccines will occur. But on the level that we're looking at with antisense drugs, the first thing that we can uh, find out is whether or not drugs that people are already taking for hypertension might be actually helpful to them or perhaps even slightly risk-inducing for them. And that can be done within the next six to eight months. That can be quite quick for us. And within a year, a year and a half, we may be able to end up in the first clinical trials for antisense drugs that target these virus entry proteins as well. Perhaps slightly faster, maybe in about the same time scale as vaccines. But really important for us is we want to be like Wayne Gretzky. We don't want to go to where the puck is. 
we want to skate to where the puck's going to be next year. And the drugs that we're trying to develop will tell us a great deal about the next coronavirus pandemic that shows up, and we want to be ready for that. Well, you've left us feeling as though we're in very good hands, so please, continued success, Dr. Koropatnik. Thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. That is Dr. James Koropatnik on using genetic therapy to block the entry of the virus. It is research being funded by Lawson Investment, and it's stuff that could wind up giving us one of those strategies that could prove very helpful. I love it. Don't don't go where the puck is. Go where the puck is going. And we've got so many brilliant minds working on that. In the meantime, it is Mental Health Week, and we're going through things that we could have never imagined, never dreamed, whether it's job loss, whether it's uncertainty financially, whether it's just being cooped up inside. We get to talk to Marilyn so often, and Marilyn says she hasn't left her apartment since March, and she is somebody who would have a lot of people saying, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. So this has been tough sledding no matter what and there are degrees of tough sledding but it's all been tough sledding joining us right now is beth mitchell the ceo for cmha middlesex with the canadian mental health association beth thanks for taking some time for us today beth let's kind of begin with how we're all feeling and and kind of if you're if you're feeling down one day or feeling draggy one day is that something we can come to expect i think very much so those kinds of feelings are pretty normal in these kind of times i mean human beings are are social animals and uh, even though we're doing what we're supposed to do by physical distancing uh, it does have an impact on our mental health so much as you just alluded to, I think often people are feeling uh, quite alone. And when we're alone, we're often with our own thoughts, so that can create more anxiety, more worry, uh, more feelings of depression. And uh, often the way we cope with those are, are to be with other people, and that's, that's limited in the conditions we're living under right now. Yeah, you make a great point. Grab a paintbrush, grab a lawnmower, grab something that isolates you, and for whatever reason our minds don't necessarily go to the great things we've done in life, do they? They sometimes go to the things that we wouldn't consider to be all that great. I'm not sure why that is, or is that even a, a normal thing that happens? It is. I think often, you know, we're and, and in this kind of environment where there's so much uncertainty, and, uh, and that includes when is this going to end, as well as what is it going to be like when it's over. And so um, that can lead to a lot of worry, and, and we know just from some of the polls that have been, you know, done over the last month or so that Canadians are feeling that isolation, they're feeling more anxiety, uh, they're feeling more negative than positive right now, and uh, and often it's hard to know how to share that because we recognize everybody, quote, is sort of in the same boat. At the same time, we all have our own personal experiences that can be quite different. So. Um, one of the hashtags for, for Canadian Mental Health Association's Mental Health Week is get real. And that means when somebody says, how are you doing, you don't say, oh, I'm fine, uh, because often we're not fine. Uh, and we all know we, we answer that way. Um, this is a time where we need to say, you know, I've, I've been struggling over the last few days, or, you know, I'm not feeling my usual peppy self, or, or whatever the, the real feeling is. It's important to connect and to share that, um, because talking about it, as I said, is one of the ways we move ourselves out of it. 
What a great idea. Beth Mitchell joining us, CEO for CMHA Middlesex, because we always like to kind of protect that and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to put my feelings or my burdens on somebody else, so I'll just use that, oh, I'm fine, everything's going okay. But chances are the person on the other end of that question is probably feeling some things themselves, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so when they're asking, sometimes that's almost a greeting now, hey, how are you? Uh, and and we don't always listen to the response. We aren't always ob- um, honest in giving that response. And this is a time to try to rethink that and to, to actually use those opportunities to connect, not avoid how you're feeling, but actually share and to appreciate what somebody else is going through. And what can a conversation like that do for somebody, do for two people who are involved in it? Well, I think first for the person who's saying, you know, I'm not really doing well, it brings it into the open and makes somebody else aware and it allows them to get support for how they're feeling. Uh, And often, although we anticipate somebody maybe, quote, doesn't want to hear it, in many cases they do because they are are genuinely wanting to connect themselves. So together we know that that kind of social connection, social support is really important outside of the period of – the pandemic, that's always an important way for people to manage and cope is to be able to have that support around them. And there's a lot you can do for yourself. You can eat well and try to exercise and get some sleep and take care of yourself for sure. Those are important. It's not just that you rely on someone else, but certainly um, using that as a support system is really important. Beth, we want to thank you for your time today. Stay safe. My pleasure and uh, happy Mental Health Week. Thank you. That is Beth Mitchell. As we talk about Mental Health Week and get real, don't just answer, I'm fine if you're not. Don't be afraid to say, hey, here's how I have been feeling. Chances are you'll hear somebody on the other end go, you know what, I've been feeling that way too. And you have a conversation about it, everybody feels better for it in the end. Beth is the CEO for CMHA Middlesex. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 